Wow, aren't you glad you came to church today? I'm glad you came to church today. And I'm glad that those of you who are joining us online are joining us online. We've got a great problem here in the room. We're, we're running out of seats, which um, I mentioned a little bit in the Linwood update uh, this past week. And uh, so if you're, if you're coming and you are in regular fellowship with somebody uh, that's also here, and you guys could fill out a row instead of having to have the spaces in between, uh, we would love to, to help with that. We're also going to be bringing the usher teams back to help uh, accommodate some of that. And uh, we've got serving teams. You've probably noticed the coffee. So if you're interested in that, please let us know. You can put that on a connection card um, if you want to serve on one of the serving teams. Um, and uh, we'll be having ushers and greeters and coffee servers um, as we kick off the fall. Uh, but it is exciting to look out over a full sanctuary and to see so many people coming together in the name of the Lord. Uh, we are in the middle of a three-week series, uh, so it'll be over before you know it. In fact, we'll be halfway through it in about 15 minutes. Um, so don't blink. I, I, our series are usually longer. We had a perfect three-week spot, and uh, just based on the feedback that I got after last week and what I could see the Spirit doing in the room last week, I know God is in this, and um, so I'm encouraged, and, and I hope that uh, you are learning and um, engaging, maybe, or sharing something. Maybe you know this, but you're getting some handles on some things to share with other people. And the subject of weeping well, as we talk about weeping and suffering and grief, they're not things that we usually want to give a lot of attention to, but they're critically important, so much so that nearly a third uh, of the Psalms have to do with lament or with suffering or with grief and pouring out our hearts to God um, and, and expressing these deep emotions of the heart. And uh, as I mentioned last week, it's based on a Tim Keller sermon that I said, well, he might be able to do that in one sermon, but I'm going to need three. And so uh, it's been great to have a little extra time and space uh, to, to add and to fill out uh, some things uh, as we share together in this. And as I mentioned last week, Psalms are unique in that most of the Bible is God speaking to us. And Psalms, the tables get turned and we see the people of God speaking to him, pouring out their hearts to him, whether that's in celebration or thanksgiving or lament or some other uh, form of expressing our emotion. And so in doing so, the Psalms show us something very important. They show us how to pray our feelings. Whether those feelings are positive or negative, the Psalms show us how to pray our feelings, and that is why Psalms are such a powerful, powerful um, part of Scripture, right in the middle. Have you ever noticed that? They're right in the middle of your Bible. It's almost like they, they kind of help us uh, to engage with God in that way. And, and also last week we talked a little bit about a continuum between totally minimizing your feelings and having nothing to do with them and pretending they don't exist or maximizing your feelings and just dumping them all over the place um, and that neither one of those are particularly healthy or helpful but there is a sort of third way that the Psalms present to us so we don't have to be absent or apathetic or numb to our feelings on one side, but we don't have to be angry and violent on the other side, that there's a, there's a line down the middle that the Psalms show us how to engage our emotions authentically and to draw closer to God through that expression 
of emotion. And that's where the title comes in. Uh, it was originally going to be Learning to Lament. And then when my mind stumbled upon weeping well, I love the play on words with well, that we can do it well, but we can also access a well of God's comfort and compassion and mercy through our grief, through our weeping. And so um, there are three things to do, and that's the three weeks of the series. Last week we talked about, in, about expecting our tears. That, that we set ourselves up for failure if we expect to go through life with no trials, no difficulties, no problems. And if you missed that message, uh, you can go to our website um, and click on the media tab, or we've even set up a special site for this series I'll get to kind of at the end, but it's just linwoodchurch.org slash weepingwell.html, and that gets you there. And, um, and so last week we talked about expecting our tears and this idea that Jesus represented a perfect human heart, right? A perfect human heart, a perfect expression of humanity, unbroken humanity. And he was always weeping. He was a man acquainted with sorrow. A man who was often weeping. Weeping over Jerusalem, weeping over his friends mourning a loss, weeping over... Uh, a variety of things. He was a man acquainted with grief. And so we should expect our tears. In fact, our bottom line last week was that as we go, grow in grace, we should expect to weep more, not less. We should expect to weep more, not less. And I don't know if it's because I preached on it, but there was kind of like, there were a number of times this week I found myself weeping at something, weeping at my own sinful nature, weeping at things I see in the world. I don't know if you've caught them. There are billboard campaigns in our community, and I've seen others sharing about it on Facebook across the nation, saying things like abortion is okay, or promoting abortion in a public sphere. And I saw that, and I just, I wept. It, it broke my heart that there are people that would say that in advance, something that is so harmful, not just to the individual, who, who does it, but to society as a whole. And so I, I wept at that. And, and that's just one example. There are so many examples. And it, it just highlights that heart, heartbrokenness over sin. That as we grow in grace, it's not judgmental condemnation of it. It's weeping that, that people are so far from God. And so I want to remind you, as I have in the, in the updates on Fridays, to pray for our community, pray for our leaders locally, statewide, nationally, and around the world. We have to be a people of prayer and be praying for revival. That, like, we have to stop looking for political solutions to spiritual problems. We have to pray for revival to sweep through our nation and for an unprecedented move of the Spirit in our day. Do you want that? Do you expect that? You begging God for that? I hope you are. I hope you'll join me in that. In fact, I want to pray right now before we really dive into our content today. I want to pray for our nation, pray for our community because we are in need of God. As, as you shared, Pastor Keith, we need this. And there are so many people that are not in church on a Sunday morning because they don't think they need it. And we need it. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we... We come before you today as your people, gathered in your name, asking you, as we sang this morning, to open up the heavens. Lord, we want to see you. We want to see heaven come to earth. 
We want to see your will be done, your kingdom come. Here on earth, among us, as it is in heaven. Those aren't just words, Lord. They, they, they are the heartbeat of your people. And so we pray, God. We pray that you would open up the heavens, that you would rain down your mercy, rain down your glory. Lord, that you would turn the hearts of of this world back to you. May it start right here in Sioux Falls. May there be revival right here in Sioux Falls, across the churches in this community, across the neighborhoods in this community, and that it would spark a fire that would, that would bring revival to the whole nation and to the whole world, that we would see millions and millions of people turn to the Lord, and that we would see something in our day that everybody would say, only God could have done that. We pray for our leaders. We pray for for leaders maybe who are far from you right now, but God, that they would turn to the Lord, that they would return to you, and that they would lead others back to you. And we pray, Lord, for for godly leaders, for for godly men and women, for, for every person that names the name of Jesus, that they would use the influence they have to point people back to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're talking today about investing your tears. That's the second thing we do. We, we expect the tears, but if that's where the sermon series ends, it's kind of a bummer. Uh, we're going to invest our tears, and then next week we're going to talk about specific ways to pray our tears, specific things to think about and engage as we pray our tears. So I want to read Psalm 126 again. Uh, Last week, we kind of focused on the first three or four verses. This week, we'll really focus on the last couple of verses, but we'll read the whole psalm as sort of the theme of this series. And uh, this is a psalm we don't know who wrote it necessarily. We don't know of a specific incident that it is speaking about. There's no introduction to it that would say that, and there's no context necessarily within the psalm that would tie it to a specific event. And this is what the people sang as they sang this psalm. They said, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping with seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. And so verses one through three are pointing to a specific time, and they're saying, remember, remember, don't forget. When the Lord brought the captives back to Zion, don't forget that we were glad And that we said, the Lord has done great things for us. And in fact, he has done great things for us. Just finished reading Deuteronomy in our Banding Together uh, journals. And and there's this refrain that comes over and over in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's remember, remember, remember. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget what your eyes have seen, what God has done for you. Don't forget. And so we see that here as well. And then in verse 4, there's this appeal. This is the lament. This is restore to us, Lord. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev that have gone dry. Fill them with water again. Restore that to us. And then verse 5 and 6, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. That's where we get this idea, this concept of investing our tears, sowing our tears. 
Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. In fact, he who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy. There's an equation here. When you sow tears, you can reap joy. When you express your emotion, when you take time to weep, take time to plant, when you give time for harvest in your coming, in your going, then you sow in tears and you reap in joy. In fact, Lisa Turker says it this way, feeling the pain is the first step in healing the pain. Feeling the pain is the first step in healing the pain. The longer we avoid the feeling, the more we delay the healing. We have to feel, we have to express. We have to take time to weep and take time to plant and give time for harvest. And the key word in all three of those phrases is time. It takes time. We have to be patient. The song we just sang before the sermon, he's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. He's never failing. He's never failing. But there is a time between the sowing of the tears and the reaping of the joy. And so just to sort of illustrate this, the importance of of sowing our tears, planting them, watering them, working them, I thought, you know, I might bring in a bag of seed to help us understand the minimizing, the maximizing, and the right-sizing of our emotional response. And so if we were to pretend that this stage up here was a patch of dirt, and I wanted to sow some seed in that patch of dirt, right? And, and turn that patch of dirt into, we'll say it's a wheat field. I know this is grass seed, but grass isn't as exciting as wheat. So we're going to pretend for a moment that this is wheat seed. And there's one thing that I could do with this if I wanted to plant it. I could dig a hole and bury it in the bag, right? Would we get much wheat? No. We might get some weeds, but we wouldn't get much wheat. The other option is I could cut the top off and I could dump it all in one spot, right? How much wheat would we get if I did that? We'd get a little bit in one spot and then the rest of it would be barren and would be weeds. But if I was a skillful farmer, I would take this and I would go in rows and I would plant the seed and then I would turn around and I would go back this way and I would plant the seed, and I would do that back and forth, and I would water it, and I would fertilize it, and I would give care and attention to it, and the result would be a harvest of wheat. And so that's a helpful illustration or a helpful analogy to, we don't want to just bury our our emotions in the bag, so to speak. We don't want to dump it all in one place. We want to work with it. We want to live with it. We want to invest and sow the tears, sow the emotion. We don't avoid it completely. We don't just express it and dump it out in one spot. We plant it. We sow it. We do it with intentionality. And we understand that it takes some time. And that as we come back to the well of God's grace, as we come back and we add our tears to the well of God's grace, we experience relationship with Him. We experience His compassion. We experience His comfort. We experience His grace in new and profound ways as we keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. And so our bottom line today is that weeping well turns sorrow into joy. Weeping well, learning to weep well, to grieve, to express, to do that well, turns the sorrow into joy. That tears give way to joy in the Lord. And we see this as a pattern in Scripture from Genesis 
to Revelation. I was thinking about this. There are some specific examples that we'll look at in a moment, but I was thinking about a character like Joseph. How many tears do you think Joseph cried as he wept, as he, as he went from, from being his father's favored son to being sold into slavery to then elevating through Potiphar's house and being betrayed, essentially, and wrongly imprisoned and then worked his way up in the prison. There were tears. There was weeping. And at the end of that story, he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And he remained faithful. And it's a powerful, powerful story, a powerful illustration of this concept. And at the very end of your Bible, in the book of Revelation, we're told that God will come and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and that we will spend eternity in his presence, worshiping him, praising him in unbroken fellowship with God. So the bookends of Scripture are clear on this and we see it throughout Scripture as well. I want you to take a little trip through, through Scripture with me. Somebody shared a passage from uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 with me and said, this is what you were talking about. And I just love that. I love that engagement. I love that there's Bible engagement throughout the week, that there's engagement in the message, and that there's connections being made and, and things occurring to people. And they, it drew my attention to Nehemiah 8.10. Look at this. People listening to the law and weeping as the law was being read because their hearts were, were rent cut by their sinfulness. They were weeping. But then God says in verse 10, do not grieve this day. Do not grieve this day. This is a day of celebration for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not weep and do not grieve this day because the Lord is changing your weeping, changing your grief into joy and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Psalm uh, 30 verse 5 is, is a very familiar passage to a lot of people. It says, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. That there is a time for weeping and there is a time for rejoicing. That there may be a dark night of the soul that is tied to a specific loss or a specific event in your life. And weeping may last for that night, but joy, but joy, but joy comes in the morning. Do you remember that song we used to sing? Any of you were believers in the 90s, in the early 2000s, and we had a song called Trading My Sorrows? I'm trading my sorrows, right? Some of you, yeah, I see Ben's, he's always quick to get a hand up. But it said, though the sorrow may last for the night, his joy comes with the morning. And then there was a big buildup. And, and you, you sang that song, and it was this idea, I'm trading my sorrows. I'm, I'm going to lay those down, and I'm going to pick up the joy of the Lord. But you have, to, you have to sow the seed. You have to invest the sorrow. You have, to, you have to recognize that, yes, weeping has its place, and sorrow has its place, but joy comes in the morning. Jeremiah 31, verse 13. Jeremiah says, I, God says to Jeremiah, I should say, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort. I will give them joy. I will, comfort is that word that means to come alongside with strength. I'll come alongside them with strength and I will give them joy instead of sorrow. That's God's intention. That's his desire as we come to him, as we invest our tears in his kingdom. And Jesus spoke about this a number of times. He spoke about it in the Beatitudes, as we see in Matthew 5, verse 4, and Luke 6, 22. He said in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn. What? Why are they blessed, Jesus? They're mourning. They lost something. But he tells us why. Because they will be comforted. Because 
they will be comforted by God, that when you learn to weep well and you come to the well of God's grace and the well of God's compassion and the well of God's comfort, that you receive something that you wouldn't have had otherwise. That's the message there. In Luke 6, uh, Luke records it slightly differently. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. It goes beyond just being comforted to experiencing joy, to experience the outburst of joy that we express as human beings as laughter, that the weeping turns to laughter, that we move beyond comfort to joy and to delight. But perhaps the the area where our Savior covered this the most clearly and spoke to this the most poignantly is John 16, as he's preparing the disciples for this time that is coming when he will be gone and he will not be here to help them. He's foreshadowing that. He's telling them, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. It's really, really hard to be weeping and mourning while everybody around you is rejoicing. It just seems to add a weight to it. But he says, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your joy will turn, your grief will turn to joy. And then he gives this illustration And it's such a beautiful illustration, such a beautiful illustration. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, right? Everybody can identify with that. Everybody can agree with that. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. That's a promise. And I want to go back to verse 21 on the first of those two slides because I saw something my last time through the message this morning. We had an interesting conversation right before the service planning meeting and we were talking about the differences between commas and semicolons because I'm an English nerd and uh, just we got onto that subject and we were talking about it. And uh, Pastor Sandy shared something really interesting about the Suicide Survivors Foundation or network that, that one of their symbols is a, is a semicolon. Because the suicide's not a period, it's a semicolon. It leads to something more. And that's a beautiful illustration of this idea of our weeping, our grieving, our sorrow is not the end that there is a promise for something more. And did you see it there in verse 21? A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. Semicolon, it's not a period because joy is following that pain. Joy is following that grief. Joy is following that sorrow. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will be able to take away that joy. I love that. That is good news. That is good news. And not to be left out, Paul didn't want to, to miss this, uh, this theme, and so he speaks about it quite a bit in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're struggling and you need to be encouraged, I would encourage you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Powerful, powerful passage, chapter of Scripture. Uh, The verse behind me, 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's the sort of conclusion to this whole chapter where he talks about us being 
jars of clay like that, that we were created, but we're fragile and we're frail. And he says, we are pressed, but not crushed. We are persecuted, not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed because God is doing something in all of those events, doing something in all of those circumstances that will bring joy into our lives. In fact, it will bring glory. It will reveal God's glory. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, this pressing and this crushing and this striking down are just light and momentary troubles compared to the eternity that we have and that they are achieving a glory in us, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Not only does he trade our sorrows for his joy, not only does he turn our weeping into his rejoicing, the joy and the rejoicing far outweigh all the weeping, all the grieving, all the sorrow. It's not equal. Here's the weeping, here's the joy, or here's the weeping, here's the sorrow, here's the joy. It far outweighs them all. And so we can trust that. And that's why our bottom line is that weeping well turns our sorrow into joy. In fact, I would go so far as to say that joy that you really need as a believer in Christ, the joy that is the fruit of the Spirit we read about in, second, or in Galatians chapter 5, is the product of tears. It's the product of weeping. That we unite with Christ in our suffering because he was a man of sorrows. And we experience his limitless joy as we are, as those sufferings are redeemed. And so the joy that we experience that is the product of suffering, the product of tears, is very, very different from the happiness that comes from trying to avoid suffering, trying to avoid tears. The happiness is always circumstantial, and it's fleeting. But the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord that Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord will be your strength, that can't be taken away, just like, just like, Jesus said in John 16, 22, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. It can't be taken away. It's a gift of God to those who have suffered, to those who have grieved. And so there's a quote from Christian Wyman that I've loved for about two and a half years now. It says, joy is in a way sorrow's flower. Just reflect on that image alone. Joy is in a way sorrows flower that sorrow blooms forth and creates joy joy is sorrow's flower it is necessary it is sustaining it is lovely but it blooms in loneliness and it's rooted in grief that that our greatest joys are almost always linked to our deepest sorrows anybody understand what i'm saying there that our deepest joys are often linked to our greatest sorrows Interestingly enough, Christian Wyman is a poet, a great contemporary poet, and he was an agnostic. He had been raised in the faith and turned away from the faith and become an agnostic. And then he was diagnosed with a rare, incurable, chronic disease, constant pain. And it was through that process that he came back to the faith. He came back to a rooted belief in God. And it resonates with me in our own, probably the deepest sorrow that we've experienced in our family was a series of miscarriages. After we had Keaton and Ryan, uh, we had a miscarriage of twins, and then we had a miscarriage uh, that was second term. It was, it, was a, it was much harder in many, many ways. And so we experienced that deep, deep sorrow, that deep, deep grief, 
questioning God, how can he be sovereign and good in the light of these circumstances? And we had made the decision not to have any more children for a while. Like, we're not going to try. We're, you know, we were told it's medically probably not even possible right now. We went on vacation at the end of, uh, that was in March of 2010. We went on vacation at the end of May 2010, and we found out we were pregnant in early July of 2010. And our doctor was as surprised as we were. She said, oh, you, you don't have anything to worry about. You probably couldn't conceive for several months. And the product of those many tears was Owen. And I got to tell you, I love that kid. He's a source of joy. He's a source of delight. Not over and above the other four, but differently because of what preceded. And so each is unique in the joy and the delight that they bring us. But that's a perfect illustration of those tears turning into joy and the, the rejoicing that we felt when we had a healthy baby at the end of those nine months, could not be taken away from us. And so, if you don't know how to do this, if you don't know how to invest your tears, I want to encourage you to be here next week. We'll talk about it in detail, about how to pray our tears, how to truly invest them. Depending on the depth of the grief, you may need some help. You may need a good Christian counselor. You may need a pastor. You may need somebody to walk through this with you. You may need to be a part of our Grief Share group. It'll be starting up here in just a few weeks if you're interested in that or you know somebody who would be blessed by that. It meets in person and online. And you can, you can let us know that. It's available on our website. You can talk to Pastor Sandy and she'll get you all the details. But often what we need is support, we need community, we need people to walk through that grief with us to help us know it's okay and to help us invest those tears so that we can experience the sorrow turning into joy. But I also put together a little handout for you that I think will be helpful to you and there was one or two on every row or every table. There's more by the offering plates on the way out. But it just lists the Psalms of Lament And one of the things that I do sometimes when I'm counseling somebody and they're having a hard time processing all their emotions, and they say, I just get up into this mental loop and I just can't break out of it. I say, well, why don't you try reading the Psalms? And when you get to something that sort of expresses what's going on in your heart, slow down, write it out. Use that Psalm as a prompt to journal, to write, to to express the the cry of your heart, because we can think a thousand words a minute, we can speak three or four hundred words a minute, but we can only write about 80 or 100 words a minute, so it slows us down. And so I looked up the individual laments and the community laments, and I put them on here. And if you're struggling or you know somebody who is, this is a great outreach tool. This is a great, hey, would you like to, to take a look at this? The website for the series, for the sermon series, is on the back, so they can listen to the messages, or you can review those messages. But all those laments are listed, and you can just go through them until you find one that really speaks to your soul, resonates with your soul in a deep way. And then I would encourage you at that point to write it out, to copy it out, to read it repeatedly, to to read it maybe every day, to listen to it, to journal on it, to reflect on it, to discuss it with somebody. And to engage that, to maybe even personalize it and put your name or your circumstances into that psalm, your specific circumstances. It's okay to do that, to make it personal, to make it a prompt to a deeply personal time of prayer with the Lord. 
and to pray those tears. That's a great way of investing your, your tears and to not try to hold those tears back as you go into your prayer closet and as you get out to your Bible and as you write these things out or journal these things, let those tears flow and invest them in God's kingdom. I'll close with a, a quote from another author that I, I really enjoy uh, reading her, her thoughts. Her name is Alicia Britt Chole. I've, I've quoted her before. And this just came up out of the blue on my social media this week, but it says, in these unexpected days, grieving is a discipline, not a distraction. I love that. Grieving is a discipline, not a distraction. Here's why. Because honesty about loss is as essential for nearness with God as is gratitude about gain. Honesty about loss is absolutely essential to our relationship with God. When we are experiencing loss and feeling that loss and grieving that loss and mourning that loss, it's essential that we express that to God, that we grieve, that we are honest about that loss with Him. It brings us nearer to Him. It brings us to the well of His grace and His love and His mercy just as much, if not more, than expressing gratitude about gain. And so I want to encourage you with this. This is a tool for you. This is a tool for somebody you know who's struggling with grief to be able to access that and to be able to invest those tears. And then next week we'll talk about some specific ways in which we approach the praying of our tears. Will you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. We are so grateful for your word that invites us to bring you not only our praises, not only our celebrations, not only our thanksgiving and our gratitude, Lord, but your word invites us and models for us how to bring our tears to you, how to invest them in your kingdom, how to do so in a way that helps you to turn them into joy in our lives, it helps you to exchange them. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how consistently you tell us that, that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so we trust you, God. And I would like to open up this time. The altars are open. If you want to come to an altar here in the room, if you want to make an altar where you're seated, if you want to make an altar where you're watching this online, and pour out your heart to him. And sow your tears that you might reap some joy. We love you, Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.